Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. I'm right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line. Just stone cold set up. If you're gonna blitz, come strong. But don't come at all. Coming strong with it like Stone Cold Steve Austin did on the 25th anniversary of Monday Night Raw. Did you catch that, Matt? No, I did not. Didn't figure you but would. But that is awesome to hear. He came back? Yeah. Was they, this a surprise? No, no, no. It was, ah, it was scheduled. You just didn't, you didn't know where it was going to fall during the show. But yeah, he and uh, Vince McMahon opened the show. There were Stone Cold Stunners and beers flying around. So good that, times were had by all. Uh, no Stone Cold Stunners, no beers here on the podcast this week. But nevertheless... We will have Longhorn football talk because this is Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. I am Jeff Howe. Uh, our lockdown corner here on the show, Rod Babers, should be in at some point. Rod, as we speak, as we record this, is in a meeting. Yeah, doing so, real business stuff. Yeah, so for his regular job, which, by the way, you can get the Rodcast uh, Monday through Fridays, 1 to 3 on 104.9 The Horn, hornfm.com, the Horn app, AM 1260, our wonderful broadcast partners. At 1049 The Horn, the Austin Radio Network, been great to us, so support The Horn, support Rod, uh, all the great programming on The Horn yes. throughout the day. Rod should be in here at some point, but nevertheless, for now it is me and the man who used to be behind the glass, he is no longer, but nevertheless, he is still the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, uh, Matt Butler. Matt, how's everything going, man? Oh, going really well. Uh, enjoying that we're finally getting some warm weather, too. But other than that, uh, basketball season is badass. And then Longhorns right now, following this Puna Ford stuff, good to hear good news coming out of Longhornland. There's actually some, you know, clout people being talked about high recruiting classes, young one-and-done basketball players, and a guy actually impressing at a senior bowl. Even though, like, this is the first time I've talked about senior bowl in, like, a decade. <laughs> it feels like a decade. <laughs> uh, yeah, baseball team top 15 in the preseason uh, poll for baseball in America, that. too. So. Uh, yeah, things getting fired up at the dish. But, Matt, that's where I wanted to start this week's conversation. And, we'll you, you guys that have listened to the show for a while know what we're doing. You guys that are new listeners, first off, thank you. However you're listening, wherever you're listening, we do appreciate it. We just we don't really have a format. We just kind of go and riff off various Longhorn topics. And I wanted to start this week talking about the Senior Bowl. And, you know, as I said before, we don't have pre-show meetings, but we'll text each other if one of us gets an idea. And Rod and I were kind of going back and forth uh, over the weekend, knowing that this was going to be a really big week for Puna Ford, getting first off getting the Senior Bowl invite lets you know that he turned enough heads at East West Shrine game practices to get the invite for the Senior Bowl. He's down in Mobile. Uh, the game is this Saturday, and Matt, you can take this wherever you want, Matt. But uh, you know, one on one drills for for offensive and defensive linemen. Some people say, well, you know, it's not really fair because the offense is at a disadvantage, blah, blah, blah. So some people take that stuff with a grain of salt. I felt like going into this week for the Senior Bowl that the one-on-ones for Puna Ford were absolutely huge as Rod gets ready to sit down and joins us. Um, I thought the one-on-ones were huge as Rod and I were talking because Puna Ford's not a natural pass rusher. Yeah. 
and his NFL position, a lot of it's going to be dictated in how people view him based on what he can do in pass rush situations. He's got to develop some moves. You know, he can bull rush people, but that was one of the knocks like on a him. Showcase. It's yeah. like these uh, little, like when you were in high school and like you know, right. basketball, baseball showcases. It's no different like than that. like the opening regionals or whatever. There you go. Uh, it, it, but it was one of those deals where you know we know he can bull rush. We've seen him bull rush, but that was one of the knocks on him at East West practices. Is he didn't really have a lot to go to in terms of a pass rush rep- repertoire. I'll say that five times fast. But <laughs> he's shown he's done really good in the one on one drills. And like I said, while that might be something that you take with a grain of salt for Puna Ford, I think that was the biggest thing he needed to prove is that he's got some pass rush potential. Yeah, and then just you know getting that wingspan out there and like uh, if you start thinking about just modern leverage and physics and how stuff like that helps it makes even more sense that he's working well in these one-on-one situations when he has a obvious advantage over other guys let's bring yeah. in the third member of our team our lockdown corner here on the show lifetime longhorn 2002 ut all-american you guys know the intro hard by heart by now uh rod babers rod you going on, gentlemen? I, I mentioned at the top you and i were talking over the weekend just about puna ford and how the nfl looks at him and i know you've yeah. got some lines of communication with scouts and some folks in high places it is worth yeah. mentioning mm-hmm. that one of rod's best friends in college is the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers now. So, uh, it's like the total opposite of the Hank Williams song. Got friends in low places. He has friends in high so places. I still got some folks. So Rod B's league. got some connections yeah. uh, at the NFL level. So Rod, uh, as you put it, Puna Ford has a lot to prove this week because his body type suggests he should play kind of that three technique, kind of the Aaron Donald position. Yeah. But he doesn't have like the Aaron Donald skill set. No. Nope. Mm. He's not a pass rusher. He doesn't when he he can penetrate, but he's not a pass rusher. And his the way that he kind of wreaks havoc is when he's closer to the football. But his size suggests because he'll probably be the shortest defensive lineman in the league under six foot when he is drafted to the NFL. Yeah. And we all believe he'll be drafted at some point. He'll probably be the shortest defensive lineman in the league. It's like, man, do you really want to put that guy close to the football? Zero technique, one uh, one technique, and you know. But I think his skill set, though. When he's closer to the football, that's when he's most effective. That's when he is most kind of destructive, if you will. I think the farther you move him away, his lack of – and he he does, he does have the wingspan, which is kind of freakish. Um, but I think his lack of kind of um, that explosivity, being able to get in the backfield like an Aaron Donald, I think that can be exploited. So it's going to be – I think he's got to have the right system that's going to draft him. But he's a freak. He's like he's he really is an NFL freak. Like you don't, you don't see guys that have those dimensions really – even it's kind of weird to have that guy kind of playing D line. I want to say they say he had the wingspan of a six eight guy. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean, like yeah. that is just freaking over six eight, yeah. almost but, six nine. But now we know that is something that makes up for his lack of height and uh-huh. length. There, he has the length. Just and like the Durant's called a seven footer because yeah. he was six eleven with the no. seven four wingspan. Well, Kevin Durant so makes eleven. Well, so, but, well, I know Kevin and Durant then, actually is close to seven foot. But like, when you look yeah. at it, is at his wingspan, so your total length, he's actually yeah. proportionately a seven two person. Yeah, like and this would yeah. put him a proportionately almost six foot four being Puna if he's just under six foot with the length of six over six eight in the middle is a six four proportion yeah I don't know if scouts are thinking that deep about it though you know what yeah. I mean like some guys they have a prototype that they like we'll see this a lot in the draft when it comes to the quarterbacks and they got prototypes they don't like they'll be tested with guys like Josh Allen who's 
prototypical at 6'5", 240 from Wyoming, doesn't have the production, but there's a guy who's barely six foot in Baker Mayfield who is just seems like he's a damn football player and can play, but doesn't really fit the prototypical quarterback. So those things will be tested. They always are. Um, I think Puna will probably drop in the draft as a result. He's gaining a lot of fans right now, and a lot of scouts are really high on him. That's why you want to see more of him from that shrine, those shrine bro practices, because you don't really believe what you see when you see Puna. Mm-hmm. Remember, Tom Herman was skeptical at first, too. Mm-hmm. Tom yeah. Herman admits, like, I came on like, man, what, this guy going to be my starting D-Tackle? I just had Ed Oliver, man. You crazy. All right, we'll, we'll see who else uh, ends up. He was talking a lot about the D-line, but he kept bringing up other guys like Chris Nelson and other players, and he admitted that Puna Ford won him over. He watched Puna Ford and was like, holy shit, this dude can play. Mm-hmm. Like, this dude is just a baller. Kind of like Baker Mayfield. Like You just go, oh, he doesn't really fit the prototype, but damn, he can play. He's just a baller. Mm-hmm. And he's learned how to use his lack of size, kind of like Shaquem uh, Griffin, learned how to use his uh, the liability in his game, uh, the lacking in his game, the guy with one hand, um, and kind of kind of use that to his advantage. And that's the, the he's so damn short that he's learned to use that as leverage. And now the big offensive linemen, they can't get underneath his pads. They can't win the pad level. Mm-hmm. You can't. It's impossible to win the pad level battle mm-hmm. against them. <laughs> and he's learned how to really use that uh, to his advantage. So to me, he's got to ha- he had to have the perfect system. But I think the more and more you see of Puna Ford, and I'm so I'm glad he went to this Senior Bowl. I'm glad he went to the Shrine, uh, the Shrine All Star Game as well. Because the more these scouts look at him, they go. Damn man, he can play. I can't explain it. They, they, I, I tweeted this out earlier this week. They, they once theorized that bumblebees, really fat bees, that they couldn't fly because their bodies were too fat and rotund, mm-hmm. and their, you know, their wings were too small. They just it, it aerodynamically it, it it defied physics. Well, that's Puna Ford. Like he kind of defies football physics in the sense where a guy that small taking up, being able to take up that much space and occupy that much space. It's just something you don't really see all the time. And this reminded me of a conversation I had with you during the World Series that I brought up. But when you talk about the small size, Tupuna was always perceived as a disadvantage. But if it's about leverage being lower and then the ability to have yeah, the long point. arms. Reminded me of how, how, how Jose Altuve his entire life, shortness was being told as a disadvantage. Scouts yeah, kept it away. Right. Yet then launch angle became the biggest part of baseball and you wanted to hit the bottom part of the ball so now he has a built-in advantage to be hitting the bottom half of the ball more so than any other player in all the baseball and it's the same idea with Puna with leverage from being down low that it's ideally and been perceived that therefore the most value is in this person if your theory is correct it's a great point yeah that's nuts brilliant I like that yeah so Rod when we start looking at Puna Ford as you said you know he's he's had a really good week as, as far as everything I've read and seen that at the Senior Bowl, proving himself that he does have some pass rush ability based on what he's shown in the one-on-ones. You kind of kind of stole my thunder there a little bit. It's really going to take the right defensive coordinator, the right yeah. front office evaluating him to put him in the right system that's going to determine exactly what his NFL future is going to be. Hey, the Texans, though, I will say with Romeo Cornell, who's now going to be the D.C. because Mike Vrabel has the job with Tennessee Titans, they, of course, uh, they're the ones who, you know, they're one of the coaching staffs there along with Denver, I believe. So Mm -hmm. they're getting a really good look at him. And 
Romeo Cornell, you know, he, he's kind of a defensive mastermind, in my opinion. Like, right. if anybody kind of, and he loves multiplicity. He loves having a multiple defense. Um, hell, look at the way they're using Shaquem Griffin. The Texans are coaching, mm-hmm. I believe, Shaquem Griffin. They put him at safety. Are you talking about the one handed, uh, you know, All American here from yeah. Central Florida? They put him at safety. They put him at outside linebacker as a rushing linebacker. They put him at regular linebacker. I mean, they had him all over the field because that's kind of how Romeo Cornell uses different guy. They call him a tweener, but I think he's kind of a hybrid guy and you know for Pune he's not a tweener or a hybrid but he's unorthodox like his you know it, it's just weird you gotta I guess I'm with you find the right fit so I'm gonna say they're a third of the NFL would probably be the right fit maybe a third to half of the NFL would be the right fit for Puna, mm-hmm. which is why he probably would drop in the draft because you know coaches know that and they're going you know I like the kid but I can't work with it you know what I mean like yeah right. it ain't gonna work for me you know what I mean? Not my D tackles. And right. just like Tom Herman was skeptical, these guys will be skeptical on their draft boards about drafting a guy like that. And if you look at the smallest D lineman in the league, we had talked about Donald being a guy. It's a different type of playing what, style. Six foot. He was barely? when he came out six foot and seven eighths is what he okay. was when he was at the Senior Bowl. And he his wingspan seventy seven and three eighths. So he's a very long person too. A lot longer of a wingspan, seven inches longer than his height. Yep. Only weighed in at two eighty eight. So different playing styles, but body type wise, Puna is actually bigger, longer, only one inch shorter than him so yeah. that and then you look across the way the other one would be will sutton who actually plays three four yeah nose tackle at six foot 297 yeah so that's you know so i think that's more like because aaron donald is explosive so as it's hell. a good combination yeah. like, to show the body types can yes. work the length works it depends those things. on yeah you can find except you can find those you can those fit both unique, pieces yes, which is could. crazy that's an undersized that's why, nose tackle but a modern yes three four nose tackle that's uber athletic and very undersized how, how, but how much weight how much does uh will sutton weigh he's this lists them at two ninety seven. This article was at the beginning of the year. Six all foot two ninety seven. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not bad. That's not bad. That's kind of what pulled it to me. Yeah. In a nutshell. Yeah. So, Rod, if you're projecting this out, what? Give me, give me your ideal team for Puna Ford. Ooh. Like, if you're Puna Ford's agent, who are you hoping makes wow. that call on draft? Oh, day? that's a great question. I'm trying to think about these NFL Steelers. defenses. Like, do you think he's a three-four you know, guy? Would you rather see that's him what a four, I, that's three? honestly all the the people that I've talked to who wanted my opinion um, about Puna Ford, the scouts. They've asked, "Do you think he's a four-three D tackle or a three-four? And I've said, "Man, you want him close to the ball." Like, I, I honestly, the three-four and the four-three, I'll throw it out because the, everybody every NFL team plays right. both at this mm-hmm. point. And if you shuttle guys, a, a platooning one being undersized, it may be too much to ask to be the yeah. guy that plays every snap there. But yeah. if you need depth, that's a very good quality guy to have, yeah. or the hybrid ability if he can play both if needed. From I mean, from what I hear, the Jaguars are really interested. They've uh, awesome. shown some interest. Uh, the the Texans have shown him. some interest. I think the uh, oh, the Cincinnati Bengals have shown some interest too. It's it's really weird. I I really can't tell you what the ideal fit would be just off the top of my head because, you know, he it really is. He's got to have a. T- I think he's got to go to a team that's a multiple defense and one that can use him in a in a in a very similar way that Todd Orlando did. He can't. I don't think he can play zero technique over the ball like he did here at Texas. That's just not yeah. the NFL, and he's not going to fit there. But you don't want to move him too far away from the football. I just think that would be a mistake. Like I do. He that's that's what he's really good at. Like he's mm-hmm. really good at that BGO. They can't get under his pads. Those those interior offensive linemen can't get underneath him. They can't win the pad level. So he is going to be able to get into the backfield. Now he may not be able to make the play because yes, he's long, but he's not 
tall and I don't know. He's not Aaron Donald. He's not that explosive. But man, he can already disrupt the play. Like at the point of attack, you move him from the point of attack. We've never really seen it. Go back and look at that 2015, 2016 film when he's on that Charlie Strong system. They put him away from the ball a lot more, mm-hmm. and he's not nearly as effective. No. Like, not nearly as, you know, devastating to those offensive linemen. So I think Todd Orlando, who's been really good at utilizing personnel, right, maximizing personnel, said, nope, I know he's got a body type that's not ideal, but that guy needs to be over the ball. And there's gotcha. a, yep. the pattern of thinking in coaching these days isn't necessarily as much as it used to be on the ideal fit as this guy does something well, we're going to have to figure out a way to work around him. And it was sort of like the conversation you always heard for our whole generation growing up around basketball. Well, who's the next Jordan or who fits this previous piece's spot? And the way the game's evolved, it's almost got to the point that you don't want to necessarily try to find the guy. It's okay if he doesn't fit something you haven't seen because the game's going to be able to evolve around the best players and skill sets that work in the game. Yeah, exactly. You and know? I think, I think and that's you, like, like, you don't have to go yeah. and find the next Jordan. It was LeBron or it was Adrian. Somebody yeah. that's different, but it still can be effective. I agree with that. So, Matt, you mentioned the Senior Bowl. It's felt like a while since you've had to pay attention to the Senior Bowl. <laughs> yeah. uh, the yeah. last time Texas had Quandre, guys in the Senior right? Bowl was Quandre Diggs and Jordan Hicks back and in And I didn't pay attention to those, those dudes. Guys. I knew who those dudes were. Yeah. It was like a decade ago. And like they both made Crowder money or there. Something they both made money it. there. They both impressed up to mm-hmm. see you. And it's all about the practices, of course. So they both impressed the practices and have proven that that's a, that is a good barometer to see if these guys will transition well when they're playing against more elite talent because both of those guys are great NFL players. Good NFL players. Great. Great means like all pro. They have some great qualities. Honestly, Jordan Hicks He was on his way. Both of those guys are good on their way to great. They really are. And Hicks is great in coverage. If you want to put a little tool on him. He's like elite in coverage in the NFL, yes, as a four linebacker. So um, I want to move on to stay in the trenches, but I want to move to offense and take it back to Texas and the 40 acres and things going on there right now. You know, if you've been following the site at Horns 24-7, you know, Texas is in pursuit of two graduate transfer offensive linemen. And I know we've kind of beaten the offensive line issue to death. Yeah. on this podcast. Well, we need but, to. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Rod. It, it bears, <laughs> Beat with it bears repeating yeah. how bad it's been in the trenches exactly. for Texas. And with our partnership with Pro Football Focus, I was able to look at some of Calvin Anderson's numbers, the graduate transfer from Rice, some of Casey Tucker's numbers, the mm-hmm. graduate transfer from Stanford, and compare that to what Texas has had the last few years. And if you take Connor Williams out of the equation, <laughs> the production those two guys have had at their previous stops would make them – Numbers one and two in terms of the offensive line talent Texas has had since Pro Football Focus started charting yeah. college games and recording data for college games in 2014. So I'm gonna give you a rundown. So let's take Connor Williams out of the equation, right? Because everybody knows Pro Football Focus loved him some Connor Williams, especially in 2016. Yeah. Um, Rod, did you know that outside of Connor Williams, Brandon Hodges in 2016 with an 82.4 overall grade, anything. Above a 79.9 on the PFF scale is considered very good. Okay. 79.9 and below is considered like average. Okay. Down yeah. to like 60, and then I think anything 59.9 and below is below average. And then I think if you're below like. If you're in the 40s. No if you're good. in the 40s, then. You're a, hor- you're a horrible player. You're not very good. Yeah. Um, Brandon Hodges is the only other off- Texas offensive lineman other than Connor Williams. And think about all the offensive linemen. Te- think about it, you you got five at a time, but all the injuries and attrition and things. Of Texas guys, yeah. Played a ton of guys. Brandon Hodges is the only one other than Connor Williams since 2014 to record a season-long grade of higher than an 80 with an 82.4 in 2016. 
And that was in 2016. Which should be that, what you want, yeah. the Texas level. That yeah. blows, that, that blew my mind. I'm like, surely somebody like fluked into like a couple of good games and bumped their grade up. No. Wow. No. It's and because I, when catastrophic errors are going, even if you're looking at overall averages and just throwing a couple zeros, we learned when we were kids, you're going to fail that class or whatever. And it's the same idea with defense that if you have a lot of things where you give up an explosive touchdown, it doesn't matter that you're doing well. And it's the same idea on offense if you're getting these grades and you have one or two blown assignments that lets a rusher through and there's a sack or a fumble off that yeah. blown, you're done. Yeah, one crisis. Couple failures, you know, you're done. One crisis uh, hurts, you know, or leads to another or facilitates another mm-hmm. because the offensive line issue i'm sure has not helped the quarterbacks who have been out there trying to play yeah so if you behind those let's just take casey tucker casey tucker's overall grade in 2016 which was his last year at stanford to play he redshirted this past season was a 78.5 there you go that would be the third highest grade recorded by a texas offensive lineman in the pro football focus era behind connor williams two seasons and brandon hodges in 2016 that's crazy think about offensive linemen blows that like I can't wrap my I still can't I had to read that like I do I was like surely I'm reading that And wrong. did he start last year for Stanford? He start and that was in uh, it, 2016 maybe 2 years ago. That was only 8 games 2 okay. years ago cuz okay. he had injury issues. He had injury issues. Well okay. this is a big thing though if so, Texas needs to fill these holes the graduate transfers cuz I mean there's so many quality college linemen that aren't NFL linemen but if you can really go around and exploit this graduate transfer, because there's so many kids that want yep. another year, especially if you have the tool of a grad degree from Texas to come over and do it. That's something that you could really take advantage of to help fill these gaps, because Texas hasn't been able to fill gaps, and we've needed immediate fill-in, and instead this we've been putting in freshmen. And like Jeff says, that's going to maybe cut back on their ability to actually develop or confidence. Instead of having to do that, you can plug some of those gaps and then try to let them grow. Maybe he's trying to do that. Hmm. So that's Casey Tucker. <clears throat> if you look at, and I, I've got all this uh, up on the site if anybody wants to go look at it and really dig into the numbers. Um, if you look at Calvin Anderson, uh, Calvin Anderson in 2017, I'm, I can't even follow my own writing. Um, <laughs> okay, Calvin Anderson in 2017, uh, his overall, and Cal, Calvin Anderson started every game at Rice for three years, two time all conference guy. Wow. There's a reason why Michigan and Auburn and a bunch of other big time schools are after Calvin Anderson. Overall grade of 82.8, that's higher than the one Hodges had, so only Connor Williams among Texas offensive linemen in the PFF era mm-hmm. scored higher for a season-long grade than Calvin Anderson's that's grade crazy, in 2017. Uh, pass blocking grade of 80.5, run blocking grade of 83.8 this year, which was 19th nationally among FBS-eligible offensive tackles. Uh, that would have led, those scores would have led all eligible Texas linemen and would have trailed only Connor Williams. Connor Williams was 85.7 overall, 83.8 pass blocking, 87.1 run blocking, because Connor Williams didn't play enough snaps to qualify to be ranked. Oh, but this year, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, As good as that was, as good as Calvin Anderson was this past season, wasn't his best season at Rice. His best season was 2016. Was he a sophomore then? He was a sophomore. Wow. 890 snaps. Uh, How about an overall grade of 84.1? Wow. Pass blocking grade of 81.5 and a run blocking grade of 86.9, which ranked 12th nationally among FBS eligible offensive tackles. So if you get those two, if you can get one of these two guys, <laughs> that's crazy. That would be better than 
to perform. They're, they've performed at a higher level than you say only two since of the like, offensive linemen that Texas had in the last Connor, decade. And well, since 2014, basically 2014. since players Jeff and I's age, like the Stuttered's class, at least like right after that offensive line, time. 2008. And that's yeah. it. Hills was like an 03 kid, I so, believe that when he came out. Yeah. And then going back, but <laughs> the, I mentioned the run blocking. Calvin Anderson has been a really good run blocker. He also the pass blocking grade might not point this out, but he improved a lot. Uh, from his sophomore year to his junior year uh, as a pass blocker. Uh, he went from allowing, uh, let's see, I got I'm sorry guys, I'm scrolling here. Uh, he he get allowed 23 pressures uh, as a sophomore, uh, cut that number down to seven pressures allowed, two sacks and five hurries this past season on 291 snaps in wow. pass protection. That's impressive. So That's he improved a lot. And I mentioned the run blocking grade because what we spent all last week talking about, like, her, the hiring of Herb Hand, Texas wanting to run the football. Mm-hmm. Casey Powell Tucker, Casey Tucker's last year at Stanford. How about a run blocking grade of eighty three point nine? That was twenty fourth among FBS eligible offensive tackles, uh, according to Pro Football Focus, and would have been the third highest run blocking grade ever recorded by mm-hmm. Texas offensive lineman in this Pro Football Focus era since the start of the twenty fourteen season. Connor Williams had a ninety point two run blocking grade in twenty sixteen and an eighty seven point one this past season. Both those grades are what PFF considers NFL caliber. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's I, I believe I saw a Pro Football Focus. Draft and they had Connor Williams at number eight. Yeah, they did their their draft based on PFF their loves them some Connor. Williams. Yeah, they do. They love Connor Williams. Man, I wish that like I had just the PFF info at disposal. Just be like, hey man, will you just go watch the whole 05 year? Watch the whole three. Give me Casey Stuttered's grade. You know, like man, grade man. out backwards because you can actually do that with this data. People did it with it's baseball true. for yeah, so yeah. long and further back. That's a great point. Maybe that'd be some off season work for the guys. Yes, I wish. Um, that's why I wish I was a boss I'll, and just I'll tell them to go do that. No, I think that. Uh, uh, what's the chances of them getting one of these guys? I think the chances are pretty good. They're going to get one? I feel one? good about them getting Calvin Anderson. He's okay. an Austin-era kid. Was at Georgetown, played his senior year at Westlake, knows Sam Ellinger, knows no, Brecken Hager. Uh, parents are from Austin. So, they're, you know, he's, yeah, yeah. there's he's some connections Coming there. back. Okay, there you go. Yeah, Let I me like ask that. you on top of that, how much space do you think there could be for the next, like, after this recruiting class with potential attrition that in the next six months could open up for other potential graduate transfer guys if that were to be the case? I think there's still that spring Well, batch. I think right now I think they're going to take their chances with these two guys as far as offensive linemen. I, I think if they're going to add another grad transfer, Matt, I think it's going to be an inside linebacker. Yeah, but there's space to add other grad transfers yeah, de- even after yeah, this. De- is what well, it's going to depend on how many they sign in the they signing may class be able to. because graduate just good flexibility to have. Because graduate transfers count. You're you know per the NCAA, you're allowed 25 initial counters per year, mm-hmm. new scholarships. Grad transfers count towards your your 25 initial counters. Yeah. So it's going to depend on. How many you load up with? Ahead. How many how many high school guys and JC guys you load up with? And yeah. then does the staff say, you know what? Screw it, man. If we've got to, you know, take the the early enrollees and just put them on the following year's count, and this will be early enrollees mm-hmm. coming in for the spring of nineteen. If we just got to add those guys to the following year's count, we can't roll them back. To hell with the man, because we're just going to add talent. I think the staff could do that. I don't know how they're going to play it. They're going to see how it works out. That's but it's just good yeah. to know that it can be there. The possibility if yeah. something opens up down the road. They've get they've given themselves uh they've, they've given them some flexibility but you know real quick rod i I want to spend a a couple minutes talking about this so clearly what the what the data shows is that if texas got casey tucker or calvin anderson be a massive upgrade from from what they've had uh at offensive tackle uh really really since the start of the charlie strong era um 
But Rod, I mentioned inside linebacker, and, and when you look at this defense, and we talked about Puna Ford, and and you know as of right now, it sounds like Chris Nelson's coming back. I know he toured with the idea of doing a graduate transfer. Really? Uh, I actually talked to somebody on my Man, way here. Why? I, I don't know. I, all I can tell you huh. is I know that he had told some teammates that he was thinking about it, and wow, I'd heard that he was kind of he the staff was aware that he was. Interesting. Thinking about it, and okay. I, from what I was told after the bowl game, it was there was like no pressure on him to make a decision. Like, hey, just go home for New Year's, come back in January, and we'll, we'll sit down and talk about it. Because I think Chris still has to finish school. I think he's still got to actually graduate to do the. But I would think with Pona leaving, he you know look, right. look at that as you know. But if Chris, but if Chris Nelson, if Chris Nelson is returning, which as of right now I would say that he is, and with Charles Amenahu coming back, and with Chris Boyd coming back, Rod, you start looking at this defense and. Yeah, I like at, it too. At least in terms of the starting eleven, yeah. and with the de- with the depth you've got on the defensive line and in the secondary with some young guys, I don't think it's going to fall off a cliff. I, I think the drop off could be Minimal. minimized. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you on that. I actually thought about that the other day because I was uh, I was just reading a piece from a, a while ago about Chris Boyd on, at Horns 24/7 about how he played his best football. Uh, based on some of those pro football focus grades toward yeah. the end of the year, like that, yeah, we saw the best the of numbers, Chris Boyd. and you can really see him. Yeah, being basically on an after trajectory. Houghton Hill left the lineup, that's when you start kind well, of. You know when he was start. being asked to do a lot. No, you exactly. You know when the, the trend linchpin. when the trend started because you talk it's after you, Oklahoma. You made a great you made a great point early in the season about how he had bad eyes, like the Shockey Brown thing. Just yeah, bad he eyes. did. And the week leading up to the Oklahoma State game was when they put the camera on his helmet because Todd Orlando was like, "Look, I want to <laughs> see where your eyes are going." Yeah. I want to know what you're looking at. Good point. And, and then we're going to sit down and watch the film. Was that after Oklahoma? That was after the OU yeah, game. That makes sense because that, that's when they were like, and man, then let's the get o- him some Google glasses yeah. so we can really see what he's looking at on the side of his the eyes. the Oklahoma State of- game, he has 13 tackles, a couple of pass breakups. They hold James Washington point. to 32 yards on four catches, and that's when the trajectory starts. Right? Yeah, you're right about it. And, you know, so I, I think he can kind of step into that role and try to be the premier corner for him. Now, if he'll be a shutdown guy, but having a premier corner still helps. You got you got some, you know, experience now in the secondary too. Even on the other side, Devontae Davis is able to come in. Is Devontae Davis what is he now? Is he leaving? Senior. He's gone. Is he senior this year or gone? Senior this coming year. Senior this coming year. That's what he I thought. came okay. in that's with Malik. Yeah, that's why I thought. Yeah, he's a senior this coming year. So you got some experience. Not saying he's played a ton. PJ Lock. It's better than PJ Lock coming back. Yeah, and Malcolm Roach still, man. People forget about Malcolm Roach on that D line. You know, I know he's in a new All defense. All these guys could have been the top end yeah, guy at but, one point, but they just and then you and got, that's good to have. Yeah, and then of course you got Gary Johnson, linebacker spot, mm-hmm. Charles Amenahu on that D line too. I'm with you, man. Like I actually am very hopeful, um, optimistic, I should say, that they're not going to take this defense won't take a precipitous drop off a cliff yeah. like the defenses after Manny Diaz's first year and after Vance Beffer's first year. Yeah, well, even though I've thrown to it the out conference, there, like, it's going to yeah. be a really which, good defense. Which is weird because it maybe it's a compliment to Todd Orlando because I believe that Todd Orlando lost more than both of those other defenses. Yeah, that I mentioned in the first year for Vance Bedford oh, yeah. yeah. and Manny Diaz. I don't, you know, what I mean, like he loses Deshaun Elliott, he's losing Houghton Hill, he's losing Malik Jefferson and Puna Ford. Like. I, those other defenses lost a lot, but they didn't lose this much. But that's how much faith I have in Todd Orlando. But mm-hmm. and I think when you look at the roster, the way it's constructed, I think he, Todd Orlando's got a nice balance of you've got some talented guys that are upperclassmen now, yeah, uh, and you've got some stopgap guys in yep. some places. But you you've got so much talent on the back end that Oof. you're not going to have to rush, especially like in the defensive line and in the secondary, unless those guys, unless like a Taquan Graham or a B.J. Foster or a Caden Sturge, unless they're just that much better than the guy in front of them, you don't have to rush those guys like 
Maybe sure. you finally did. have depth. Advanced did. You yeah, finally you got guys. some depth. But Matt, the reason why I said inside linebacker for a grad transfer, if that were to be something that comes up on the radar, that's the one position where you don't have depth. Behind Gary Johnson and Anthony mm. Wheeler, you really got nothing because – as far as I know, Ed, Ed Freeman's a guy that I've heard is probably going to be a grad transfer guy. Oh, I was about man. to say, I couldn't I believe know. he's still around. I always liked Ed Freeman. Cam- too. Cameron, Cameron, Ta- Cameron, Towns- Cameron Townsend yeah. really was a non-factor for the yeah. whole year. Uh, DeMarco Boyd's a guy that sounded like he, he had might some transfer good- too. He sound like he had some good bowl practices. Okay. But really, I mean, your depth at inside linebacker is really going to be Deli Adaway and Byron Hobbs. Yeah, that's really gonna be your inside linebacker. Death. But that's why I mean, that's why I wonder if he's if Tarlando's gonna, you know, continue with the dime package and continue playing six defensive backs. If that is the case going forward, and that's gonna be kind of his base personnel in the Big Twelve, depending on the matchup, of course. Kind of have to, don't you? You right? know what I mean? Oh, but he does that. Then the depth at the linebacker or lack thereof mm-hmm. is not as you know, it's it's, it's not as uh, urgent. Together. Right now, because you got you're gonna bring in so it's many great spot. DBs in 2018 class, and we agree two or three of those it guys eliminates your biggest play. possible weakness. And yeah, and you got to Gary Johnson there. As long as you got your front line guys, you should be okay because most of your linebacker depth is now in the sub packages awesome. of the secondary. Engineered and baked into your defense just for next year would yeah. be the one area that you may have the worst depth issue. It may not be as much of an issue because you don't play that position as much. Exactly. But Todd Orlando and the defensive staff did a great job of what we accused Tom Herman and the offense of staff of not being able to which was take a look at your personnel and mm-hmm. adjust like adjust to the it. dime package for them and I think I brought this up I, I, I asked Todd Orlando finally about it and I asked some players about it during uh, the bowl practices down at U of H mm-hmm. and I said you know was it just kind of a coincidence did you kind of just accidentally just kind of fall into the dime being the base defense or was this the plan and <clears throat> from what it sounded like from what Todd Orlando said you know it, it's obviously a package they always had in kind of their third down rush package yep. and Going into that Oklahoma State game that we referenced, was like, you know what? I just like the way the personnel matches up. And, and he tweaked it as they went on. And yeah, he did. Sometimes, sometimes, it, was Bonnie, the death sometimes it was Jason Hall. Somebody asked me on, on the message yeah. board this week, they're like, well, you know, d- does the B-backer role change or how, does this defense change since you ran so much time? I said, no, I think it was just Todd Orlando looking at Jason Hall saying, you know what? As big as he is, as good of a blitzer as he is, I can have him effectively be the dime back, but – he can do the same things the B-backer can depending on how we're lined up or what the call is or what the formation is. And Jason Hall at 230 pounds can give you pretty much the same kind of presence that, that Sean Hughes can. at 240 pounds yep. can give you. And in, in the, Big, the 12. Big 12, in the context of it, it reminds me totally of what the Warriors did the last three years with the evolution of basketball with the death lineup that then Draymond coming in as a center or the way this, the Rockets play P.J. Tucker at the center. And it's something that's unconventional. It would never work before, but with the modernization of the game, pass happy culture, the same with the ability to hit threes and switch and have your yep. defense and offense be there, this is a adaption to the modern game similar like this was Texas's death lineup and it took before they wouldn't run that with Golden State Mark Jackson never did and then when Kirk came he almost didn't want to but saw it was breaking every single metric in the history of Mm -hmm. basketball for net rating and they're like oh my god well if we're just dominating with it let's roll it out there in clunch time exactly and that's exactly like he was saying happened in that Oklahoma State game and it's like man until they figure out what to do to beat it, why stop it? We're stopping ourselves. And it's amazing they were able to, you know, really execute that dime package with PJ Locke being hurt, you know, some some are some of the season, and Holden Hill being out 
some of the season. I mean, they had depth issues in the secondary. Not depth issues, but they had concerns, and yet still were able to execute that dime package with guys like Antoine Davis, with guys like Jason Hall they threw in there, or John Bonney. So I'm with you, man. And, and like I said, we saw so many players on that Tidal Orlando defense that played their best season that we've ever seen them play on the 40 acres. That's why a lot of them are leaving to go to the NFL. So I have, a, I have, I have ultimate trust that Tidal Orlando is going to be able to adapt the to the to the Big Twelve with this new talent that he's got. Mm-hmm. Rod, uh, we got a few minutes left in the show, and I want to spend it talking about uh, the NFL draft. I want to take it back to the NFL because we just talked about inside linebackers, and when you look at the Malik Jefferson in the draft, yeah, it seems like I don't know if his stock has slipped or, or he's out of the, he's out of the first round in most of the mocks I've seen. Other than and, and Matt Miller's last mock draft, which came out I think a little more than a week ago, yeah, that was the last mock I've seen Malik in the first round, and yeah. it was at the back end of the first round, like I think thirtieth overall. Yes, I saw that. Um, Daniel Jeremiah doesn't list Malik Jefferson in his yeah. top fifty prospects for the draft. Yep. Rod, what are your draft? I know because again, you've got connections in the league. What What are your sources telling you about Malik? Most Most people believe that if he when he runs a 40-yard dash at the combine or the pro day, that that'll change as well. Um, if he trust because me, right if, now his stock can't go. Yeah, up it can't. Or down. They can't. He's not doing anything. You yeah. know what I mean? So right now the Senior Bowl and all the other practices, it's hard up. for him to be able to increase if his stock. Four or five, but oh. if he goes to the combine, everybody assumes that this is a guy who ran you know a high four four. He'll come out of high school. Mm-hmm. He's added some weight, but he still has that kind of explosivity. Everybody's assuming that he'll go to the combine. You know he'll interview well because he's really mature and everybody loves him. He's got a larger than life personality, so we know it's going to interview well. And we know the film this year kind of speaks for itself. He's been considered an NFL player really since he got to the 40 acres he's got to run a really impressive 40 yard dash and really that's it yeah. to me like if he no, does that right. he will the patriots at the end of the first round will go we'll take him oh yeah you know what i mean like, hey, he'll be like malcolm? malcolm brown he'll be like yeah you know what we'll take him he's like yeah, top player in the nation malcolm brown out. and malik jackson like yeah two five-star players from the state of texas yeah exactly i think that's top what's gonna happen position. when he's got to run that 40 though if he runs a slow 40 mm-hmm. he's, he's he's out of the first round no question because here's here's what's interesting uh we did an open records request <laughs> in horns 24 7 again say that five times fast to kind of get <laughs> to sign to see what the feedback was from uh, that, that the players who submitted paperwork to the NFL draft, what they got back uh, from the College Advisory Committee, and uh, we pretty much confirmed that there were there were four guys that did not submit uh, requests for evaluations: Connor Williams, Holton Hill, which Rod, you I know you got Lamar contacts. Yeah, we talked to some of the same people. Yeah, it was a foregone conclusion. He was, he was gone. Yeah, he was done. Uh, Deshaun Elliott, who made his decision early. They and the they fourth, didn't care what the committee said, who apparently we randomly found out has, is eligible for the draft, Chris Warren. I, that that blew court. my mind. I did not expect that. Um, wow. Which we'll have to table that discussion for next week because I've got man. some thoughts go. on that. Wow. Um, but well, those four guys, those four guys did not submit paperwork. So presumably, the five guys who submitted request evaluations were Charles Amenahu, okay. Chris Boyd, Chris Nelson, Michael Dixon, and Malik Jefferson. Presumably, those are the five guys. It could be another one, but because the name, the paper, the the letters we got back, the names were redacted. Oh, because mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So presumably out. it was those five. But if it was those five, if Malik is in that group, which I'm led to believe that he is, so based Malik on, Dickens, no, sorry, Malik Dixon, <laughs> Chris Boyd, Aminahu, Boyd, Aminahu, and Nelson. Okay. Presumably, I'm led to believe that Malik was one of those guys based on what Tom Herman has said. Okay. 
Those guys were not given first or second round grades. They were all told to return to school. There you go. Which Michael Disson doesn't shock you because nobody's going to give a punter a second round grade. Exactly. And Chris Nelson, got, Chris Boyd, Charles Minahu, none of those guys surprised me. Yeah. Malik's the one that I don't know. Now, is it a deal where maybe he's a second round guy, but not high enough to where they say you're solid? They got to bet to guarantee you yeah. as a first or a second round. From what I heard, that's why that committee's re- that's why these guys have been told by their agents, screw that committee. Because that committee, they they, all, they they based those first. And that's on why they old they, stuff. Yeah, they changed this like what four or five years I ago. I think going into the twenty fourteen draft. Yeah, they changed it yeah. just yeah not too long ago. Where basically you get three grades: first round, second round, or go back to school. And they wanted to be extremely harsh. Like mm-hmm. first round, that means they ninety percent of the people they talk to say this guy is a first rounder, done deal. So basically, probably not a lot of people are getting first round grades. Probably 15 twenty. Of them. Yeah. yeah, probably twenty. 20 kids are getting first-round grades because you never know the Browns are going to do something stupid. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like teams like that. All it takes is one team. All it takes is one team to up mess up the everything. Then, 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 the, no, no, then, no, then the advisory committee is under scrutiny. May get sued. Did you cost me money? Well, no, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, that sure. kind of thing. And it makes so, it inaccurate because so, those guys exactly. will be drafted. So then nobody will trust it. So they've been really, really strict from what I understand about giving those grades. So basically you get 20 per round. So you may get 40 guys. They get a first or a second round grade. 40 to 50 guys maybe, something like that. Uh, but the rest of those guys are told to go back to school because they're not sure if they're going to get drafted in the first or the second round. Yeah. That's from, from what I can uh, understand. So I understand why they didn't get that that grade. And the agents told mm-hmm. them, screw it. You're, you Don't worry about the grades. One team, to ask Tim Tebow, ask Johnny Manziel, one team fall in love with you. you that's all you it say, means. You say that, but, Rod, then you look at it. That's why I, I'm all for a more transparent draft process. 106 underclassmen oh, yeah. were granted permission to enter early for the draft. That's a new record. Yep, good. Every Make year they money. set a new record, basically, every year. It, yeah. yeah. And Make you know what? Money. A third of those were probably going drafted, something like that, right? Yeah. I think a third of them. I think it's, it's some crazy Now, number. some of those guys are, a quarter. are like in a situation like Holton Hill where maybe you're facing a suspension if you return it. Hey, man. You, you got it. That guy just wants a job. He wants to be drafted yeah. in the fifth Camp or sixth guy, I mean, yeah, yeah, if you're making just practice squad trying to get on and playing pro yeah. football, that's money. So I want to get to the Chris Warren thing next week. I also want to get more to the Malik thing as we kind of get some more feedback. But, Rod, what I've read, it sounds like what your sources are telling you, that his – his stock's going to totally depend on the combine and what he so runs for, at 40. Unfortunately, it's the 40. Like yeah. it's, and I hate that it comes down to just that one thing for that guy who's played so well. But, yes, the 40-yard dash for Malik. All right, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Blitz. Matt, thanks for everything, man. Oh, you are more than welcome, good sir. Rob, B, appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and 1049 the Horn, hornfm.com, the Horn app, and AM 1260, where you can get Rod's show Monday through Friday, the Rodcast from 1 to 3. Right. For Matt, for Rod, for the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.